Yeah, I'm going to read the first five verses, I think, but I'm going to go through the whole chapter. Isaiah chapter 6. Familiar ground for any of you that, that know your way around the Old Testament a wee bit. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The hem of his garment, and already New Testament Jesus pictures come to mind. We think about the hem, the lower part of his garment, and that woman that laid hold on it. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Hard to understand what these things are. The word literally is, talks about fiery beings, fiery creatures. They're also described in Ezekiel and in Revelation. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this encounter Isaiah had, terrifying as it was. We just ask, Lord, that as we open our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit, you will come and you will take these words and you will cause them to live and to nourish our spirits in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was a pretty good king. All right? He was uh, 16 when he came to the throne and he reigned for 52 years. He had a long reign and during that time there was a large degree of peace and prosperity. Because he was able to hold off the Philistines, he was able to hold off the Ammonites, he was able to hold off the bloodthirsty Assyrians. And as long as Uzziah was there, the people were safe. Now he wasn't perfect. He ended up with leprosy. Um, and he died, I guess then, at about age 68, which was quite old for, for that time. A 52-year reign was quite rare. And as Isaiah writes, Isaiah 6, King Uzziah is dead. Now, one of the words that was used earlier this year a lot whenever Queen Elizabeth passed away, that, that night that the TV was on for an unusually long amount of time in our house, because it's usually not on for very long, uh, but we, we, I stuck the TV on and sat and watched and and it was, is it Hugh Edwards? Is that what you call the BBC guy who, who just does a lot of ro royal stuff? He was on, he was visibly upset, and he kept on using the word constant as he talked about the queen. Constant. She was a constant for many of us because she had reigned for 70 years. And therefore, there were, a, a, you know, a very small number of people who could remember life before Queen Elizabeth, who could remember the previous king. 
She was a constant and now she wasn't there anymore. King Uzziah was like that in his day in Judah. He was a constant. He was steady. He was a, he was a picture of stability, a picture of safety and a picture of hope. And now he's gone. Yeah, stability has gone. Uzziah's gone. Stability's gone. Hope is gone. And now there is some doubt creeping into society in his absence. There's some fear creeping into the society in his absence. And I want to take this phrase in the year that King Uzziah died. And I want to cut off the end of it and say in the year that and ask you, what would you fill in for your year gone past? Because it is now getting towards late November. We're going to have the, the rush of Christmas every year at this point. I'm like trying to say to myself, I'm going to do it slowly this year. I'm going to be slow. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to stay at home. I'm not going to go out a whole load of stuff. I've got to enjoy these, these, these precious moments. But as we, as we then you know, hurtle towards the end of 2022, what do you fill in for the rest of that? as you think back over the year, in the year that what happened. I don't get the impression that there's an awful lot of people who would say 2022 was a blast. I hope 2023 is just like it. (laughs) I don't think there's a huge number of people saying that. I don't think a huge number of people said that about 2021 or 2020 either. These have been years that people in general, I, I get the impression they'll be glad to see the end of them and hope that the following year will be better rather than the following year will be a repeat. How would you complete this? In the year that, in the year that work conditions became unbearable, some people might put that in. In the year that the cost of living rocketed, lots of people are going to put that in. In the year that mortgage rates went up, in the year that Russia launched a war on Ukraine, in the year that the bins weren't emptied for months, in the year that Queen Elizabeth died, in the year that I lost someone, in the year that disappointment seemed to tinge everything, in the year that everything I planned seemed to fall apart in front of my eyes, in the year that there was no pay rise to cope with 10% inflation, in the year that there was no bear at the World Cup, in the year that anxiety was rampant in society more than ever before, in the year that a relationship became strained to breaking point, what would you fill in? Maybe for some of you, you can put in something really tremendously positive and that's, that's class. And maybe you do look into 2023 and say, boy, I hope it's just like 2022. But I don't think that's the experience or the feeling of a lot of people. A lot of people, when they fill that in, it's, it's, it's something painful. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Sometimes things need to die for us to see more clearly. I've got it right at the end of my notes, but I'll mention it now. Spurgeon said, hope is like a star, and you see it most clearly in the dark. If everything's bright and happy in daylight, sometimes hope can can not, not be visible, not be seen, but in the dark, hope can suddenly shine a lot more brightly. 
And for Isaiah in his position where society around him was now becoming very unstable, their, their symbol of hope and of stability was gone. Isaiah needs to see who is really on the throne. King Uzziah is dead. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Have you encountered God lately? Now, I don't know if, if you'll ever have an experience like Isaiah had. When we get a bit later in the chapter and you see the calling that was placed on his life, you might not want it. <laughs> but Isaiah has this encounter with God. Have you encountered God lately? Have you seen him, so to speak? Have you seen him exalted and high because... In, in the early chapters of Isaiah, humanity, men, are exalting themselves. And what Isaiah needs to see is the Lord high and exalted. And I think even sometimes in, in our own lives and in the church, we can make God a wee bit small, a wee bit familiar, and we can sort of bring him down a wee bit. And we maybe need to once again see him high and exalted, <laughs> glorious, over everything. He is the constant in a shaky world that is becoming the very opposite of constant. I have never seen just such instability. When you're making sort of small decisions, you know, such as, for example, you're maybe choosing a new mortgage product and, and, and a few years ago you could have chosen with confidence that things were going to say, stay a certain way for a certain length of time, whereas now your confidence doesn't extend beyond about 24 hours because everything changes at such speed. Everything seems shaky. And Isaiah and we need to see something that is unshakable. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And where he sees them is in the temple. Now, we don't know if Isaiah himself was in the temple and while he was there, he saw the Lord, probably, or whether he's somewhere else <coughs> and in his vision, he saw the Lord in the temple. And I'm going to suggest that Isaiah himself was in the temple because I want to make the point that Isaiah positioned himself in a place where, where he could encounter God. Isaiah positioned himself in a place where he could encounter God. He made himself available. The temple was seen as being the place where heaven and earth overlapped. In fact, in, in some Jewish thought, the temple was seen as an umbilical cord. You've seen one of those lately? <coughs> an umbilical cord connecting heaven and earth, life flowing from heaven to earth through that. And Isaiah goes to that place where heaven and earth overlap in order to present himself, and he has this encounter with God. Do we do that? For us, it's not geographical, it's not physical. I think there are places and, and you know, I would, I would be in agreement with, with Pete Gregg on this and with lots of, of other sort of, I don't know what you would call them, mystics, prayer warriors of the past, that there are places that are just thin places where there has been so much prayer and so much worship and so much love poured out to God that when you're in them, you just feel closer to God. So there are places like that. But I think it's not so much us positioning ourselves geographically in a location. 
It is just us making time to be available for God to say, God, here I am. <laughs> is there anything you want to say to me? Do you want to speak to me? It is, it is battling against the constant rush of modern life to stop and to slow down and to detach and disconnect and to be available for God to speak to us. And whenever Isaiah did that, he got a glimpse of something that even the seraphim could not look at. They, they have these six wings and with two of them, they're covering their faces. They're not even looking at this glory that Isaiah looks at or that he sees a glimpse of. They're not even looking at him. They were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He saw a glimpse of the holiness of God, the glory of God. And my question is, does this happen to us? Should we expect this? Powerful encounters with God. Should we expect it? I was in, in Chester, which is a beautiful little city, small city in England, really old. Um, about five years ago, four years ago maybe, uh, on a forge weekend. And one of the guys that was teaching us that weekend was a guy called Wes White. And for you that know Eugene, Wes is another Eugene. Wes is a Bible teacher to the nth degree. And Wes is also just filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and I obviously was magnetically drawn towards Wes. And I was hanging out with Wes at one stage over the weekend. And I was sort of quite... Upset's not the right word, but I'll use the word upset. I was, I was talking to him and I was like, Wes, I don't feel like I've encountered God in ages. I feel like early in my Christian life, there was these moments where you just would encounter God in worship or maybe somebody in, in prophetic ministry or, or in your own prayer life or whatever. And I said, it just feels like these things have become rare. That, that I don't feel like I have these radical moments of, oh, I've just encountered God that I, that I used to have. And I was getting really frustrated by it and annoyed by it. And I, and I sat and chatted to him for ages. And he's, he's older than me. Probably don't want to do him a disservice, but he's probably, I don't know, we'll go with around 60. And, uh, and I said to him, Wes, you know, as you grow older in your walk with God, do these things happen less often? Am I wrong to be wanting to have these powerful encounters with God and frustrated that I'm not having them? And he said to me, you must have those. You must yearn for them. Do not believe the lie that as you get older in your Christian life, those things are more rare because you don't need them anymore. He said, long for them, yearn after them, hunger for them, make space for them. Encounters with God when you can experience his holiness and hear as Isaiah is going to hear his call on your life. And after Isaiah sees the Lord in verses 1 to 4, he does not say, whoa, W-O-W. He says, whoa, W-O-E. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. In the presence of God, Isaiah not only saw God, that's the first thing he saw, I saw the Lord, he also saw himself. And this is one of the reasons I, I wonder, maybe we don't encounter God as much as we want to because we don't really want our own hearts 
ripped open in the presence of God. We want to be a closed book. We want to keep some things to ourselves. We don't want to maybe address the things that he might put his finger on. As soon as Isaiah has encountered God, he suddenly sees his own heart. Woe to me. It's interesting as you, as you read through the, the book of Isaiah as, as a whole, in, in chapter 5 there are six woes. Chapter 5 has a song of the vineyard and then Isaiah pronounces on God's behalf six woes against Israel. Um, I'll just I'll point them out. In, uh, in verse 8, Woe to you who add house to house and field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. He condemns those who buy up all the property. In verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks. Verse 18, woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good (coughs) evil. That resonates with me. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. If that is not modern society, I don't know. Such complete reversal in terms of what society declares to be good or evil compared with what God declares to be good or evil. Woe to those, in verse 21, who are wise in their own eyes. Verse 22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. Six woes that he lists in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, boom, the seventh one comes. And he's not declaring it against Israel. He's declaring it against himself in the presence of God. Woe to me. He is utterly ruined. That's what the Hebrew word sort of suggests. Woe to me, I am ruined in the presence of God, shockingly aware of his own sin. And I would encourage you, allow that to happen because we're not finished the chapter and more stuff's going to happen, which is good. Don't be scared about getting into the presence of God and allowing yourself to be ruined in his presence and to become aware of your heart. And not only does he become aware of his own state, but it's the state of the entire nation. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When you have these encounters with God and when you get alone with him and you allow him to speak to you, you'll not only become aware of your own heart, but you'll start to grieve for the nation. You'll start to just see the the wickedness that is going on in society, in in the halls of power, in government. You'll start to grieve for the nation, not only yourself. And lips are the problem. (laughs) I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Lips are a problem because lips and the heart go together. Jesus criticizes in Mark chapter 7, he criticizes the, the hypocritical religious leaders. He says, you honor me with your lips. Your hearts are far from me. Your lips are lying. Your lips are not actually speaking forth devotion to me. Your heart is far from me and your lips are giving you away. You worship me in vain. Your teachings are mainly human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. Lip service to God. But their hearts, and later on in that same chapter, Jesus says about all of the stuff that pours forth out of the heart that makes a man or a woman unclean. 
The third thing that happens to Isaiah is he's in the presence of God. He has seen the Lord. He has seen himself. And now he finds forgiveness. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth. Just imagine. <laughs> Poor Isaiah. Like, has, has he not gone through enough already in these few verses? And now this thing comes flying towards him with a hot coal and holds it against his mouth. It says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah's primary function for the rest of his life is going to be to, to speak God's words. And it's a, a miracle needs to take place in his lips, in his mouth. For those of you who are here on Tuesday night, there was a beautiful moment in the prayer meeting where, 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 where someone who just really struggled to open their mouth and speak forth, we prayed for that person. And as the prayer meeting went on, boys a day, their mouth was loosed. <laughs> Sometimes God has to do a miracle in our mouths. And what Isaiah finds in the presence of God is forgiveness. As he allows God to expose his own heart and his own sin, he then immediately receives forgiveness and atonement for it. And then the last thing that happens is he is sent. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. You see, we sometimes can take people through the sort of the first three parts of this process. Isaiah sees the Lord. We can help people to see the Lord. We can help them to see Jesus. And Isaiah sees himself. And we can help people to see their own hearts and their need of Jesus. And Isaiah finds forgiveness. And we can help people to find forgiveness. But then we sometimes stop there and say, that's it. We're done. You've seen God. You've seen yourself. You've been forgiven all the best. But no, God's not done. With Isaiah, there is a sending, there is a commissioning that's going to take place. It's only at this point in the chapter that God speaks for the first time. Prior to this, it has been the seraphim that have spoken. But now God speaks and says, who will I send? I need somebody to send. I've got a mission. I need someone that I can send, someone who can go for us. And note, please, that again, this call comes to Isaiah because Isaiah is available. Isaiah has put himself in a place to hear God. And therefore, God is able to commission him and send him. And note that Isaiah does not say, I'd really like to go, but I have this problem with my lips. Now, that's what we would do sometimes. We would let past sin stop us from receiving the call of God. Isaiah, in the presence of God, hears a voice saying, I need to send someone. Who will go for us? Now, if it had been me there or maybe you there, you might have said to God, well, I can't go because of that thing in the past, but I know a fella, you know, I'll give you his number and you can maybe reveal yourself to him and he'll go. Isaiah doesn't do that because Isaiah knows that what just happened in the previous verse covered his sin. <laughs> dealt with his sin and atoned for his sin. So Isaiah is not going to let his previous sin with his lips hold him back from serving God. His sin is atoned for. And I would say to you and encourage you, if, if there's something in your past that you feel 
disqualifies you from serving God, that you feel a call of God coming, but then you convince yourself that you can't do it because of whatever, six months ago, six years ago, whatever. That's a lie. In verse 7, what we read is, your sin is atoned for. Your sin is atoned for. The, pr- the problem with your lips, Isaiah, it's been, the guilt is taken away. The sin is atoned for. And that's why Isaiah can now say, I'm available. <laughs> I can go, send me. I won't make an excuse to, to not respond to the call. And note another thing about this call that Isaiah receives. It's devastating. Where do you hear this? Okay. This is what God, you know, after Isaiah says, here I am. He's all, you know the way you're enthusiastic if you've had these encounters with God. You're just clean lit. You're buzzing. Um, it's, it's the worship event. It's the prayer room. It's the prayer time. It's whatever. And you're just like, mm, you're in the zone. And God says, who will go? And you're like, me. And God says, okay, here's the call. Go and tell this people. Here's the message you're going to preach, Isaiah. And Isaiah pulls out his wee notebook and starts writing things down. The message you're going to preach is this. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. In other words, Isaiah is going to have to go and tell this people, you hear, but you're never going to understand. You see all the time, but you never actually perceive. Now this, we'll not go into it. I've mentioned it in previous weeks, particularly in the rebuilder stuff. This is idolatry language. People cannot hear and they cannot see because they have worshipped idols who cannot hear and cannot see. And the judgment is coming on them. Verse 10, Isaiah, here's your, here's your mission statement. Okay, right? Isaiah Ministries International. This is the, on the first page of the website. This is what, what they do. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their heart hard. That's great. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah's ministry is to make people's hearts harder. It is to make their ears duller and unable to hear, and to cause their eyes to become closed. That's Isaiah's call. Do you want it? (laughs) I don't. That's that's what, what God calls him to do. It's horrendous. It's devastating. It is not the call that is on the life of a New Testament preacher of the gospel or missionary. But this is the call that Isaiah receives. It is a really, really hard call. Isaiah, no one's going to listen to you. They're going to reject you. In fact, Isaiah is a tool of judgment. God has already, when you read the larger scope of the book, God has already made his judgment decision on this people and Isaiah's preaching is going to pass the sentence. And when you read on after chapter 6, you have got a lot of judgment that comes before the good stuff at the end. This is not an encouraging start to ministry and Isaiah's response is actually hilarious. I said, how long? (laughs) Is this going to be like a a one-month series, God, that I'm going to do? Uh, on, on your judgment on these people? It's going to harden their hearts. Is it three months, maybe a year? How long, oh Lord, will, will I have to do this for? And uh, <clears throat> yeah, sometimes faithfulness to your call looks like failure to those who are looking on. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And Isaiah was given a trust. He was given a message to proclaim. And it was not going to be what the world would call success. In fact, anybody looking on at Isaiah's ministry is going to say, Isaiah, you're a failure. Isaiah would not like the question that most church leaders get asked at some stage on a Sunday afternoon. In total innocence, many people write this morning. <laughs> that question just kills every New Testament church leader, pastor, preacher, whatever. Many people are at the meeting. Did you have many out? Hmm. Say that to Isaiah and you're going to get a look that will cause you to just want to crawl. You'll not need to open the door to leave the room. You'll be able to fit under it. You'll feel so small. Isaiah's ministry was not about drawing a crowd. It was not about worldly success metrics of large numbers of people thinking he was awesome. For Isaiah being faithful to the Lord's message was going to look like failure. But Paul says that that faithfulness is more important than whatever the world deems to be success. How long, O oh Lord? How long am I going to have to proclaim this hard message? Well, the answer he gets is, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will be laid waste. Hmm. not going to be a one-month series, Isaiah. It's not going to be three months. It's going to be the rest of your life. That's exile. And, and God is saying to Isaiah, from now until they go into exile, you're going to preach this message. And their hearts are going to get harder and harder and harder. And chapter after chapter of judgment comes. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord, Isaiah would say. And remember, you put in there at the top what you need to. Maybe several things. In the year that such and such happened. Here's what we need. We need an experience that in, in whatever way you fill in that top line there, that you then need to be able to put in the rest of it. In the year that whatever happened, I saw the Lord. Are you seeing the Lord in the midst of all the, the shaking that's going on. I saw myself. Are you allowing him to expose your heart? Because every one of us still needs ongoing change, ongoing transformation. And the longer we have that we cupboard in our hearts, where we keep that wee part of ourselves that we know just isn't right, and we know that the Lord would love to transform, the longer we do that, the longer we hold ourselves back. I saw the Lord. I saw myself. I found forgiveness. As soon as that part of the heart gets opened, straight away in comes atonement and forgiveness. I found my calling. But there's one more thing at the very end of the chapter that Isaiah found. He found hope. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah, this picture of hope and stability and security. In the year that King Uzziah died, I found hope. How do we see that? The very last verse of chapter 6 talks about trees being cut down. It's actually a really interesting study throughout Isaiah. There are trees everywhere. <laughs> it's just he's obsessed. 
there have been PhD, I downloaded a 300 page PhD last night that somebody had written about tree imagery in Isaiah. <laughs> okay. Um, the terebinth and oak, as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Whenever God is speaking through Isaiah about the judgment that's going to come, he talks to Isaiah about trees being cut down. He talks about men who think they're great trees being cut down for firewood. And as, as God gives this, this, this message to Isaiah that there's going to be a whole lot of trees cut down in the land, he also gives this very last phrase that brings hope. The holy seed. The holy seed. Now, the only thing holy is, is in Isaiah is God. Holy, holy, holy. But there's a holy seed which will be the stump in the land. Paul picks up on this word seed in the New Testament and he applies it to one Jesus. It will be the stump. Say stump. Stump. When you cut a tree down and you don't want it to come back again, you've got to get that stump out usually involves a digger or a very sore back. The holy seed will be the stump in the land. And then later on in Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So even in this awful year for Isaiah, this awful year, where King Uzziah has died and all hope is gone and Isaiah sees society all around him and if you read the first four or five chapters you will see a nation in utter disgrace in terms of how they're behaving, how they're treating one another, their selfishness, their greed, their sin. In the midst of all of that darkness in the year that Uzziah dies and all the trees are going to get cut down, God says to Isaiah, there will be a stump. I'm not going to completely destroy. I'm going to leave a stump. And from that, there will be a shoot that will grow. And that shoot will have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And that's Jesus. And the picture that I want you to get as, as we end, in the year that whatever happened, there is hope. There is hope. The hope shines brightest in the darkness, as Spurgeon said, like a star. You don't see it until the darkness has fallen. And for some of us, for a lot of us maybe, it's been a year when the darkness has fallen. But I want you to know there's hope. In the year that King Uzziah died, I found hope. I heard of a branch. I heard of a shoot. I heard of one who would come forth from the ruins and the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him. Let's pray.